Welcome to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler. My guests on today's podcast are young married couple, Miles and Maddie Robertson. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you very much for having us. Just a little background on this um, young couple. They've been married about a year, and we'll get them to share their own story. They're students at Utah State. Um, They're working towards the degrees and getting closer. They've been married, I may have mentioned that, a year Uh, Miles served a mission in Tampa and grew up in Washington, and Maddie grew up here in Salt Lake City. Um, Is that about right? Mm -hmm. That's exactly right. Maddie offered the opening prayer and did such a great job. And we pray that a wonderful spirit will be here. Maddie and Miles will share the journey of coming together, falling in love. Maddie recently has come out to her husband as bisexual and is courageously sharing that on a podcast today for all of us. And And um, as she prayed, I think the prayer that she offered and the prayer that I have is this couple bravely shares their journey that other couples that are in this space where people wanting to help people in their space can listen to Maddie and Miles share their story and have insights on how to make this work and how potentially this can even strengthen a marriage. And you're very brave to share a little bit about your story, you two. Thank you. So before we get to that, um, just tell us tell us about Utah State. Maddie, what are you studying? I'm up there doing history teaching. So I just finished up like all my history classes and I have a sociology minor. So I just finished up those. And then this fall, I start the teaching program, which has been um, really excited, exciting, sorry, to consider um, that I'm getting like really so close to graduating. Um, and where do you want to teach? I want to do high, high school, school. Le- high school level. Yeah, absolutely. Middle school would have like different challenges, and I don't know like if that's exactly what I want. But they're still really good kids. But high school is really what my heart is drawn to. And what classes would you like to teach? Um, I love U.S. history. Um, if I could do the AP classes for like U.S. history and government, that would be probably my dream come true. But really, just teaching history is what would make me happy. Well, I think on behalf of all our listeners, we need really good teachers. It's an industry that just because our kids have gone through it, we've had really great teachers and had some teachers that haven't been as strong. And we recognize we're really losing wonderful people from the teaching pool. And we need wonderful people like you and the difference you can make for good and keep in young men and young women's lives. So that's really cool. Thank you very much. And yeah, I feel like all my favorite teachers were my history teachers. So if I could follow in their paths and... Any shout out to a history teacher that made a difference for you? Uh, I think really two, Mr. Fuller and Miss Clooney. They were both there at Granger High School. That's great. And Miles, tell us a bit about what you're studying. So I'm just kind of exploring a little bit the uh, space between math and biology. I couldn't really pick between the two, but I'm not quite smart enough to do just one of them. So I'm just doing the easy things that fall in between, I guess. Smart. That's a lot. That keeps doors open. I think that's really smart. So yeah, I'm working on um, ecological models, um, things like that, using math to predict where populations are going to go. And tell us about your mission. Where did you serve? I served. How long have you been home? Yeah. um, I served in Tampa, Florida, um, Spanish speaking. I was there from 2015 to 17. So I've been home um, close to two years now. 
And how did you two meet? So we actually met on the method that is, you know, most scorned in our modern day <laughs> online dating. We <laughs> we met each other via the mutual app. Um, I think we're we're both we both had it at the time as kind of a joke, but I think in reality. It was really just Maddie who had it as a joke. And I've just been saying that I had it as a joke <laughs> to just kind of make myself feel a little better. But we met through there. It was a brief conversation. Then we went to go get some Aggie ice cream up at so USU. So you both State. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Who reached out to – can either party reach out to the other person? Or do the – and who do you remember who reached out first? Or is it one of those things where you swipe and – I mean, I just get a little bits and pieces of this world. Yeah, so it is a swiping app. Um, so if you both swipe, then you match, then either one can reach out. But I think like towards the end of like when we were on, they introduced something called a note where you could reach out without matching. You had like one note a week or something, but we matched. And I think Miles. Uh, we all know it was me. <laughs> yeah, it was me who reached out. Miles messaged first. Yeah. And were you glad? Did you realize you matched, swiped with this guy and, and were glad that he reached out? Or is it hard to keep track of all these things? I was I was definitely happy for a date with the cute guy. Um, I had just really gone out of a relationship. And so um, why I had gotten back on Mutual was my cousin and I were hanging out one night, kind of making fun of it. And so we like re-downloaded it on my phone to kind of just poke fun at people. But I was one of those people too, so I shouldn't be poking fun at people. That's great. And what was the first date like? Was there a lot of interest right from the beginning or was it just kind of a, any thoughts on that? Yeah, there was some really cool connections that we had. Um, <clears throat> excuse me, not that, um, not that political perspectives really matter in the long run for any kind of self-worth or anything. I think um, we connected a lot over both being rather liberal in a very conservative group. And um, I don't think it's uh, necessarily a romantic trait to sync up uh, politically, but it was certainly a benefit. And I think it, I stuck out, to, stuck out to Maddie because she was very used to dating a lot of conservative guys. So <laughs> you remember that about Miles? I, yeah, I do. I remember like people always tell you like certain subjects not to talk about on a first <sighs> date. And one of the first subjects we went into was politics. Not that we normally do that. We're not like those kind of people. It just <laughs> came up like that. I think I think it started with Kanye West because it was about the time he was talking about like a presidential run. And we were just talking about that and kind of developed. But yeah, maybe that's what got him the second date. What did you love about Maddie? If I had been your roommate um, up at Utah State and you came home from this date, and I said, Miles, tell me about your date. What would you have said? I had been going on tons and tons of dates. So upwards of, I'd, I'd gone on upwards of like 30 dates within about a month span. And I was pretty burnt out. But um, seeing Maddie, uh, she seemed a lot more grown and a lot more mature than um, some of the other people. I was going on dates with no no offense to any of those people. I, I think part of it was just that the connection seemed a little stronger. And so I was I was excited. Um, not willing to get my hopes up, but excited. So cool. Yeah. That's really cool. Did this how long until the second and third dates? Um, about four days until the second date. 
Yeah, maybe it, three. At, at first, it it went pretty quickly. I think um, Maddie needed a couple sabbaticals to really come back to me, so <laughs> she went and dated a couple other guys while while we were kind of on and off. I was I was never off. I was always on. <laughs> so, uh, but we finally came around and connected, and in the end, it was Maddie who asked me to be her boyfriend, so I pride myself on that. <laughs> Tell us about that. Well, earlier in um, when we had been just going out on dates, um, Miles was working at the library, and I went there to study, and um, just one day he was working there at the front desk, and he asked if he could join me after he was done, and I think it was during that time. He made, like, this application. It was like, hey, these are all my good qualities, and I really think you should like me and probably date me. And it was really funny. That's and funny. I really loved it. And I, I still went off and dated a different guy. But but she did say yes at the time that she did like <laughs> me. So I think I was just planting seeds, you know. Um, and so once it came to the point where I was like, yeah, I'm really ready. I really want this. He's incredible. I'm so grateful I didn't lose him. Um. I got up at like 5 a.m. to do homework and I was just like, you know, you know what? No, I'm going to do this instead. So I made my own application. I'm like, these are all my reasons that I think that you should be my boyfriend. And I gave it to him and he said, yes. Thanks That's for doing cool. That, no problem. I think for me, um, it was I, I've I felt very strongly that if I wanted to have a good relationship that I needed to give her her time and let her make her own decision about it. Um, and I'm sure that I um, messed up in a couple places and might have been too forward. But I think in the end, I'm much happier because I gave her the time to come around and make her own decision. And because Maddie makes great decisions all the time. And I think the more I can give her the spotlight and just let her do things, the better this world turns out. So how long from that experience when you kind of became official until you were engaged? Um, two weeks. <laughs> no, <laughs> not quite. Um, like it was, it was kind of funny because I was very reluctant at first and like trying to figure myself out. And then like, once we did start dating, I was like, okay, yeah, I feel good about this, but it did take a few, a few more months until we got officially engaged. Um, I'd had a plan. I was like, I was thinking about it and I was like, I think it'd be really good to get engaged in August and get married in December and I kind of like told Miles about that. And he was like, cool, cool, cool. And then um, he ended up proposing in June that year. And we got married in August. Wow. So, this is accelerated plan. I didn't want to wait a whole semester engaged. That, that's called, you know, the telestial kingdom. <laughs> <That's funny. laughs> and it was it was a really good decision. Um, I'm very grateful that Miles kind of went away from our plan because his plan was much better. And what's your anniversary date? What day were you married? August 16th. 2018. Mm -hmm. So a lot of listeners will be listening to this perhaps in July and August of 2019. You've been married a year. Um, I wish you could see this couple, just the prayer Maddie offered. Um, they're just, you can tell they're in love and you can tell they have a great marriage and they hold hands like all the time. And it just warms my heart to be around a couple with just such a great marriage and and some would say Maddie being bisexual complicates that. And we're going to talk about that. And this is a curveball or, oh, my goodness, what does this mean? And 
that's why I'm just so honored that they'd share a little bit of their story because um, this is a beautiful love story and this is this is part of their beautiful love story and making this work and the added skills that they develop um, navigating this space and the increased communication and and I think I've mentioned this before sometimes I see couples when I was a singles ward bishop that you know they they sort of didn't develop the foundation of communication trust and honesty until later after they were married and and maybe a lot of couples do that, but I sometimes see couples that are working on this topic and they have to develop um, vulnerability, trust, communication, and develop skills to talk about really complicated things and be vulnerable and honest that actually brings their marriage closer together. And I'm sensing that in this marriage. Um, so, but I'll let them tell their own story. Um, let's get into, you know, what, Talk, talk about your sexual orientation, Maddie. Just when did you kind of realize you were bisexual? Um, it was definitely over the span of a few years. Um, just like growing up in Utah, this wasn't a topic I really heard a lot about. Um, and so I actually remember like it wasn't until my senior year of high school that I actually like learned what the term bisexual was and actually heard it for the first time. And I was, it was just like this whole new world to me. Um, and like, it was until like my junior year that I actually like realized that members of our own church were feeling like attracted um, to members of their own gender and just like, I don't know, maybe I was just super slow with these things or a little naive. I don't think you were. I think you're just doing great. <laughs> and so, um, like high school was a huge learning experience for me, but like really until the end of that, um, I just always thought like, okay, I've been attracted to guys my whole life. So that means I'm straight. And that means I don't have to look at any feelings that I have about girls because I like boys. Um, and I just never really even imagined that what I could be feeling could apply to both boys and girls. Like that was who I was and still am, of course. Um, and so looking back, of course, everything is so much easier to see and to understand. And like my whole life, I've been like more flustered around girls and just, but always chalk it up to like, oh, I really admire them. And that's something I've heard a lot from like other people who have been figuring out their sexualities was just like kind of like rationalizing or justifying like what they felt or explaining it away just like I just think they're really pretty and like I would want to be pretty like them or like what I said before just um I think they're so cool and um but what really happened and what really made me reconsider was the summer after high school I started going to the singles ward with some really good friends and I had one friend who kept like trying to set me up on dates and encourage me to date like different guys that were asking me out and I was just like you know I I'm having such a hard time and like these guys are great so why am I not liking them and my one friend she's like Maddie are you sure you're not a lesbian and I was like oh no no of course I'm not. And like looking back now, I don't, I know she meant it like with all the love in the world, but I also don't think she was like serious about it. Right. Um, but just like 
my reaction to that question was just way too strong. And it always stuck with me. Like, I think like if I hadn't been attracted to girls that I would have just like forgotten it. But um, just as I started going to college, um, dating, as I was going to college and dating was still hard for me and I just couldn't seem to figure it out. I would like always go back in my head to her question and say, but that's not true, right? I don't have these feelings. Um, and like not too long before I met Miles, um, I started a class and there was a TA in there and I was just like blown away by her. And I was like, what am I feeling? And eventually like, I just had to like, start to be more honest with myself and think, you know, I think I have a crush on her. And just like, it was the first time I really let myself even consider the possibility, but I was still pushing all of this down in a way and not considering it because I was like, this doesn't fit into my life. I don't have room for this in my life. I'm going to church and I'm pretty sure I'm still attracted to guys. And it was just... So I didn't allow it to be anything. And um, of course I am still very much attracted to guys. It was just like, I still like, even the space of like wondering, like, am I attracted to girls? I was thinking it had to be in terms of one or the other. Um, so just like accepting myself and how I feel has been quite the journey. And I feel like it's still very fresh. Um, because the first time I was able to say it out loud and really accept it um, was with Miles. Um, and just like during our dating process, I just like didn't think about this part of myself at all. I was so like head over heels in love. And I had found this amazing guy that I knew I wanted to spend the rest of my life with. So I, like if it had come up, I would probably just say like, this doesn't matter because I'm marrying a guy and like, this is the end, not in a bad way. <laughs> like it's the end of my dating, but a whole new beautiful journey. And um, so after we got married, um, just like that whole summer was a blur. Our engagement was a little less than two months and everything was so exciting. But I think once we got married and we were on our honeymoon, um, like I knew the importance of my covenants before, but like after it happened, I was like, I am with Miles forever and that's the most incredible thing, but he needs to know all of me. And in that time I was feeling like really guilty about myself that I hadn't shared this with Miles before. And it was really scary to bring it up with him like we had just gotten married and I knew Miles was this incredible loving accepting person but still when you're coming out to someone that you're married to that's a different situation than coming out to a friend or a family member um, and he took it in my eyes really well because from the very first moment, he was just completely supporting 
and he just made me feel loved. And so that's that's immediately what I saw. And of course, it was like a very emotional and overwhelming situation. And so I definitely had a lot going on, but Miles made me feel very safe. On behalf of our listeners, I know Miles is going to chime in. What you've just shared with us is really courageous. Thank you. To just share all that out loud and have that part of you has been kind of pushed down and not seen as good or worthy, to just share what you shared is so courageous. And I know there's listeners with tears in their eyes that would just love to reach through the microphone and give you a big hug for what you just shared. I really mean that. That means a lot. And I love, um, I, I think some people wonder, you know, am I bisexual? Am I attracted to the same gender? I don't know. And I love what are the things that you frame that up as admiration versus a crush. You used, do I just admire women? But then I love, I do like where you said, I clearly had a crush on this TA, I think. Mm-hmm. And you knew that that was different than admiration or or respect or some of these other words. And that, and I thought that was really thoughtful the way that, you, and I, that may be helpful for our listeners too, are wondering. And I think people are familiar with the Kinsey scale where there's this range of sexual orientation where people aren't, you know, I can't remember which is the one and which is the six or the five, but the two extremes, totally homosexual or totally heterosexual. Um, but there's a range within there. And so you're somewhere in that range. Mm-hmm. Uh, as you well know. Miles, share your thoughts. I think that um, to give some background, growing up, um, I had friends that were from the church, but were probably um, caught up in a lot of other um, concepts and other things. They were very active, but um, I remember one experience where uh, I really wanted to vote for someone for some class president in middle school. And I was really impressed by him because he went and wrote uh, a haiku for every person in the entire grade. And they were, you know, stupid, but it was the best that a, a middle schooler could do. And I was I was super impressed. And I really wanted to vote for him because of the work he put into that. Um, and especially in a in a um, like a class officer position. I doubt that politics would play a role whatsoever. But what was really sad is that nonetheless, my friends um, were very vocal amongst themselves about the fact that they were not going to vote for him because he was bisexual. And I remember feeling really off about that. And you were in Utah at the time or in Washington? I was in Washington. and um, And I think that was one of the reasons that that I was so afraid of moving to Utah later was because I thought that since my experience with my friends in Washington was so bad. LDS friends? Yes, they were. um, That the culture in the church in Utah would only be worse. And, And there's a variety wherever you go. But regardless, that I've always looked back on that time and thought to myself like, what, what is it that drove them to make that decision? And though I think there are difficult trials that for some people may create um, bigoted perspectives, which I doubt anyone really feels like they're a bigot um, 
And even if they do, they probably think they're justified in it. Um, not that anyone ever is, but I think there's something to be said. Like at that moment, I just felt a lot of rage because I felt uh, an extreme injustice. And um, I'm sad to say that that was kind of the seeds of me wanting to explore other um, other friend groups. Um, sad because I think it probably would have been best if just out of, you know, the light of Christ that I just naturally wanted to gravitate towards other people. But it really was um, a feeling of discomfort. With your LDS group. Yes, Even absolutely. though you're obviously active LDS and served a mission. And, right. And you two were married in the temple and all that stuff. Right. And, um, and building from those experiences, there were others with those same friends um, that made me start feeling very, very uncomfortable um, hanging out with that friend group. I don't think that that is the average, though. And I think I've had to work really hard to realize that um, people who are really stubborn about specific topics tend to be very um, bright in our minds. And I've had to work really hard on reeling that back in and realizing that um, people who might casually say insensitive comments are not necessarily um, stuck in their ways. And um, regardless, I started feeling like um, mostly after my mission, it took a long time for me to come around to that idea. Because um, I think those who have gone on a mission and have had sympathies towards people who excuse me, who have um, have had these kind of experiences, specifically um, LGBT uh, people have had these experiences. And um, as an onlooker, sometimes members of the church can make very insensitive comments. But I would make the argument that in all cases, those people have not had a depth of emotional experience with that individual to know, um, to know that, that, that had such an effect, but regardless, I had all these feelings growing up and, um, marrying Maddie was a wonderful, wonderful experience for me and has really benefited my life. And, um, so it sounds like you were a little connected with LGBTQ before Maddie came out to you. Yes. Yeah. Because of this experience in Washington, the bisexual junior high, did, did he win? Uh, I think he lost, think which he... made me probably a little bit more ticked off, honestly. So somehow your worldview just identified, you identified, um, and I think the gospel of Jesus Christ can cause this in us, those that have a harder road, the mar- the marginalized populations of the world. Um, and so that was kind of, you know, and so there was some sensitivity with LGBT. Did you have any interaction with this on your mission? Did you teach any LGBTQ people or did it come up with companions or were there, was there a positive narrative or a negative narrative or what just not talked about? I remember in the MTC, I have two gay uncles, by the way. Um, and I think, I mean, I would be silly not to think that that so would that's be a been big, part of your journey too. yeah it's always it's always been in the back of my mind and I think um, I feel bad for those who don't have that experience where they get to um, have a very loving relationship with someone like that and honestly those uncles have always been living far away and some of them um, one of them uh, sometimes 
like we just don't talk that much, you know? And so I wouldn't even say that we had that personal of a relationship, but it was the way that my dad acted about them um, and always talked about them without harshness in his voice and always with love. He, he, they were never my gay uncles, you know, they were just my uncles and they were, they were incredible uncles always. And um, so I think that really aided that. Um, and then when, um, when I was on my mission, I remember there was uh, one of the talks that they said in the MTC, um, very, very uh, boldly talked about why gay marriage um, is against the commandments. And I remember feeling so uncomfortable about that. And at the time, for whatever reason, they decided to make me a district leader. Um, and they regretted it after <laughs> I went back after that devotional. And as we were leading a discussion, I posed the question like, like I just started bawling. And that was really the only time that I did cry at the MTC was because I said in putting out a question, I said, like, I just don't understand why um, our gay and lesbian bisexual brothers and sisters do not have the ability to have an eternal marriage like I will have. Um, and it still doesn't make sense to me, spoiler alert. <laughs> um, but uh, I remember saying that and some people immediately, I think the MTC is an intense experience, so I don't blame the people who immediately tapped out, you know, and it seemed like they pulled out of the conversation because it was too intense of a topic. Um, and I also remember another elder who stared very intently at me and with the best intentions um, told me what I could do to fix my issues. And it didn't work, you know? And on my mission, I ran into several times, um, ran into um, wonderful people who, um, they never told me that they were gay, but it was very clear from being with their partner or other actions that they were um, part of that community. Um, and I never had the opportunity to meet someone who uh, was from the trans community, but um, which I'm bummed out about because those are some wonderful people. Um, but um, I, I remember teaching them and one, one man in particular, um, he, I, I didn't ever really catch on to the idea like this glorified, like, wow, golden investigator kind of person. But I really enjoyed being with him. You know, it wasn't that I thought he was so prepared. And honestly, um, I thought like, wow, I really wonder if he would have a place in the in the ward I was serving in. And I mean that in a social sense, like I wonder if we brought him to church, if anyone would be interested in talking with him or if they would always refer to him by some standout characteristic. Um, and honestly, um, I was kind of cowardly, but I was relieved that most people who I taught that were LGBT, mostly the LGB part, um, most of them um, dropped us before we would ever get to that part. Um, and I was relieved because I was clueless of why um, people who wanted to live with fidelity um, within a loving partnership could not have that. And I still struggle with that. And I'm, I'm not ready to, um, but I feel pretty ready to 
pick the side of loving these people and feel pretty convinced that personally, I mean to say that there's, um, there's probably more to be revealed on this topic that we haven't found out about. So I love what you said, Miles. Um, and I'm comfortable with everything you said. If I were your bishop five years ago, I probably would have challenged you to change your thinking. Um, and after being in this space a while, now my response would be give you permission to feel how you feel and say, we need you in our church. It's okay you see things differently than perhaps most LDS people see it. You're not an activist. You're not out you know, asking and campaigning for the doctrine to change. You're, I sense you support our leaders. You're, you know, temple worthy. You hold a calling. And so I deeply admire, but I would want to give you space now to feel how you feel. And I would say, well, I, I wouldn't give you a checklist to change how you feel. That's, that's what I think that missionary did in the MTC. And I would just say, you know, it's okay to feel this way. And we need you. Join with us. There's not a belief, there's not a hurdle where you've got to believe a certain way, and we all have uniform belief as we're all trying to come into Christ. And And I think we need the beautiful diversity of Elder Holland's choir where we have different feelings about things. And, and maybe I'd probably encourage us to not necessarily have to pull each other to a way of thinking, um, but give permission to everybody to feel the way they feel and to honor those differences and create space for people to feel differently. I don't think it's an unfaithful feeling. I've, I've been reading some research from Jenna Reese and her book, Millennial Mormons, and about half of the active Mormons feel the same way you do. They've, they're fine with same-sex marriage. Um, so where you two are, we haven't really asked where Maddie is on this, if she's exactly the same place you are, but a lot of our members at your age feel the way you do on this topic. And are we just going to invite all of those to leave <laughs> that don't that, you know, feel that way. And my generation a lot less feel that way. And is your generation going the way of the world or you just kind of have a feeling because you just have more LGBTQ people in your life you have a, and you have a sense of fairness that you just want the same thing for LGBTQ brothers and sisters that you two have. And to me, those are, you know, that's, it's just a fairness. You just see the world through and it's certainly consistent with what Christ taught us, trying to just see the world through other's people and, and create fairness. Any more thoughts on this, Maddie, as you hear Miles talk about his worldview? Um, Miles and I are very similar in our views. That's been one thing that's been really like a boon to our marriage. Um, just we have a very strong foundation that's built on um being able to communicate about a lot of issues, but also just being in agreement on a lot of things. Um, and so I really support and love the man that he is. Miles has this huge heart and he's always reaching out to people who feel neglected or that they are on the margins. And honestly, I couldn't ask for a better man and, um, you know, we've been talking about the subject a lot, especially recently, and trying to figure out how um, it figures into our faith and our belief in the church. And um, 
right now we're really committed to staying in the church and being here so that we can help others and make others feel more welcome and um, really just trying to hold on to our faith that um, Heavenly Father does have a plan for us all and that it's going to be beautiful and merciful. And I think, um, you know, I've had really good experiences with the church and um, really personal ones. And to leave just doesn't feel right because of what I've experienced and the spirit that I felt. So we are just here to do our best to love, give that Christ-like love to everyone. That's great. Miles, talk about your reaction when you found out your wife was bisexual. It had um, a few precursors that were very significant. Um, well, I think it was while we were dating, um, before Maddie came out to me, that my sister um, came to me with some concerns. She um, has always been really quiet, um, but had... Um, had never, has never been one to just start talking about her feelings or seek someone to talk about her feelings with. And I love her a lot and have a lot of fun with her. And I wanted to give her an opportunity to at least feel safe enough to talk with somebody um, if, if she wanted to. And she, um, she was very kind in choosing to trust me and include me more in in her circle of very special sacred things to her. Um, she was horrified that she was feeling really attracted to girls. So your own sister confided this yes. to you before Maddie came out to you. Yes. Okay. And um, that was I, that experience was. Um, I'll say that it was easy in that situation to completely love her. Um, I had no insecurities, and that was just the situation. And I say this to contrast that with a few differences that happened um, when Maddie told me this. Um, because um, when Maddie told me that she had some feelings for, for girls and um, started developing and eventually took on the term of bisexual for herself, um, the immediate response I had was to do everything I could to support her and say things, even if it was hard to say them, just say things that I knew were going to be true no matter what, which included that her choice was the most important choice um, for her. And so I, I think I said that, um, you know, if, if this, if things kept developing and she felt like she wasn't attracted to me, um, I said that I would do the best I could to um, just accept her as she was. And if she needed to, if we needed to part ways, that that would be something I, I would love her and support her doing. Um, and that was really hard um, because this was a woman that I'd fallen in love with and had really fought for, you know. Um, it was, I, she, she turned me down a couple times while we were dating, um, rightfully so in retrospect, but at the time and, and even now I still feel, um, very strongly about the fact that I kept reaching out to her and it was really scary, um, to think about the idea that maybe as things developed for Maddie, that she might come to the conclusion that she wasn't attracted to me. And that was a real fear. But 
for me, the priority that I took in that moment, um, I, I just made the decision that I would do everything I could to make her feel loved and supported. And I felt like I had enough strength within myself and between me and the Lord that I could handle that for just a little bit until um, I needed to talk with her more about that. And I think um, a few days after one of these conversations, I, I did and expressed that I was feeling a little bit shaky and a little, um, a little bit um, worried that things wouldn't turn out um, the way that I was hoping for. But um, I saw very quickly her love for me, and I think um, I'm grateful that I took her as a priority in that moment because that was a special sacred thing, and I needed to forget myself in that moment. And I'm really grateful that of all the bad decisions in my life that I at least didn't mess that part up too bad. That's great. Talk about this from your perspective, Maddie. Um, I think I said it before that all I really got from Miles in that moment was love and acceptance. So um, I really didn't have an idea of what was going on in his mind. Um, and I am really grateful that he did make the decision to like reach out to me where I was in that hard spot and make me feel like a priority and that's just classic Miles. Absolutely the best person. But um, How did it feel when he gave you permission to leave? It was, I mean, I never, like, considered considering it. But um, Miles has just always, like, through actions like that, shown me the depth of his love. Like, something I was like, a little concerned about like growing up as I was getting older, I was like, what if I don't have someone who's willing to sacrifice for me what I would sacrifice for them? And just like something that's kind of been prevalent in culture, um, especially in decades um, past is just like the man goes to college, he supports the woman, the woman just kind of stays at home. And like something I was taught in young women's was like, um, go to college so you can get an education just in case like your husband dies or you get a divorce or you really need the extra money, then you can have a job because your education has prepared you for that. And I remember even being like 12, I'm like, that's the reason why that I'm going to go to college. Um, and when we were dating, there's like one time I was like, freaking out about a few classes and like really scared that I would lose a scholarship or something. And Miles told me, he's like, Hey, if I have to quit school to put you through school, I'm absolutely going to do that in a heartbeat. And just it's stuff like that, that, um, has just shown to me like how much Miles loves me and values me and how much he's willing to sacrifice for me. And so it just makes me love him even more, honestly. I could not feel happier or more blessed. And so he just had this amazing reaction um, that just made me feel very loved and made it um, easier to love myself because, like, even though I was accepting that this was part of who I am, it was still hard to like truly accept it and to have it be something that 
I can love about myself because just growing up like in Utah and like in cultures, just that wasn't always something like I felt was something to celebrate. Um, and Miles just made me really feel like this isn't like this terrible blight on who you are. This isn't a bad thing. We can love this and it's you and I love you. And um, so he has been really instrumental in um, giving me the confidence to embrace this part of me. And so that is something I'm really grateful to. I want to correct something about that. Oh, okay. I think it was, I think you really did the hard work, you know, like, I mean, you're really nice and I think you love me. So you're a little biased, but I think Maddie was the one who had to do the really difficult transitions. And honestly, if there are any biases in the church, which of course there are, she was the one who's at the butt end of every single one. Um, being a woman, being a woman. Yeah. Um, which is a huge one right now. Um, I mean, outside of doctrine, even just, just culturally. Yes. Yeah. Um, and so I think that Maddie has been the one who's always taken things head on and has always pushed so hard to do the things that. Does that make you make love her more? Oh, absolutely. I was hoping I'd marry someone like that. So I really, I really won. <laughs> and I, I think uh, that. Do you feel you still won even with a bisexual wife? Even more so, honestly. Um, Even more so. Yes. Why? Um, I, w I would be very hesitant to say that um, that it's because she's bisexual and I can show her off to people. Because I think, unfortunately, that's some kind of a trend. That's somewhat of a trend that people are like, oh, my bisexual friend or something like that. Just like, oh, my best friend is black kind of excuse. Um, and I, I hope to be really um, careful to let her speak for herself instead of trying to use her. Um, and I'm sure I'll have times where I'll trip up on that. Um, but regardless, I just know that she has a more in-depth experience of what it's like to not live a traditional, um, growing up. And what I mean by that is that she did not, um, live the experiences that other people told her that she should be living or that she should expect. And I think her having that has given her a special perspective that will help the people around her for the rest of her life and throughout all, all of the time that she gets to interact with others. Assuming you two have kids, how, why will having a bisexual mom make her a better mom? I don't know if you've ever thought of that. I'm asking you, Miles. We have discussed it. Um, we've talked about talking to them. Um, Maddie has always been so good about talking about the values that she wants to teach our children. And the forefront of that has always been acceptance um, and love and showing um, uncontested love and just, um, just a full spectrum of acceptance, no matter what the type of person is. And of course, there are um, there are of importances of holding back, especially in situations of abuse, you know, you wouldn't want to invest too much in those relationships. But Maddie has always been so good about um, saying that. And I think they will hear her experience 
And their hearts will be changed from the moment they hear that because they will see, wow, my mom has not had the cookie cutter experience. Someone that is raising me um, is, is a person who I hear about, you know, like one of the things that's interesting is that um, because of the dynamics of the church, a lot of people only hear about, you know, um, lesbian, gay, transgender, bisexual, everything, um, and even um, people of color. Those <laughs> even sometimes people have only heard about people of color in the church. And my wife is going to be an incredible source of um, intelligence for our kids because she will be able to say, these are the kind of things that make me feel loved and supported. And she will say that from her own heart because those will be the things that have touched her and that she is used to touch others. Why do you think being bisexual makes you a better mom, Maddie? That's a leading question because <laughs> I think it's true. Thank you. Um, I've never really thought about like why it might make me a better mom. So I might need a second to um, catch my thoughts, but I would like to share like. That's fine. Um, thinking about my children and um, my sexuality has been like part of my push for coming out. Um, I came out to Miles and then the next person I came out to was my best friend. And then um, the third person I came out to was his sister. So the more as I was coming out to people, I was like, okay, does this stop at a certain point? How honest am I with the people around me? And just there's this question always on my mind, like, am I going to tell my children? And like, if I'm going to tell my children, then I really feel like I have to be out to everyone. And I just, um, one thing I want is for my kids to always feel like they can come to us with absolutely everything. And I wouldn't want to feel like I'm hiding something from them. And just like, I want them to be able to come to me, but I wouldn't be able to go to them. That just really didn't sit well in my heart. Um, so I think it could definitely play a role in encouraging just very open and honest lines of communication and love and um, really just being able to respect their journeys. And I can't look at my kids and say, this is what I expect from you. And I want you to fit this mold because that's not what love is. Love shouldn't have those conditions. And so um, Miles and I have always talked about this, that we want a very open household where we can admit our mistakes and just really grow as a family. And I think it'll really contribute to that. I love both of your answers. And I think if we could have your kids on the podcast in X number of years and they're in their old, you know, teens, 20s, 30s, they will reflect on you two as parents and the culture you created and the open communication. And I think that's awesome. And I think you'll do better than my generation at, at talking about complicated things in a very normal, factual way that young that children can handle. And you'll figure out the right years to talk about your kid to your kids. But 
I love both of your answers because I think who you are, Addie, is who God created. And before we went live, and maybe you'll circle back to this, you you talked about my heart wasn't hidden, but I was this aspect was not um, shared. Mm-hmm. And I kind of like that. And I love that you don't, you know, you don't feel shame and you probably have at times, but I just don't think God would want you to feel shame for how he created you. And he would want you to feel at peace about who you are and having your eternal partner feel at peace to who you are. It has to be fairly healing. Have the most important person in your life love you just the same. Maybe you had some questions that came to your mind and you had to ask those and it just wasn't day one. But you have the foundation of communication that, you know, I just love the way you process this. Do you feel like you're closer as a couple because of this? Absolutely. Yeah, it it helped open communication. And I think um, I'm kind of a guarded person in general. And I think Maddie expressing her feelings more, um, especially something so sensitive in a situation that um, in her imagination and probably in many other people's situations could go so poorly. Um, and I'm just lucky to, um, be with a woman who is so, um, confident to be able to share that. And, um, and I'm very grateful that she trusted me with that. Um, and I think if, if other people are going through this situation too, I would like to just say that, um, I can understand how. Um, if your partner is coming out with this new information, that that could be very different, especially if you have grown up in a situation um, where you have just not associated with with people who are outside of your normal. And I think that it's important to remember that no matter what, um, it's uh, it's always a question and an insecurity of if your partner will want to love someone else instead. Um, And for me, when Maddie um, expressed to me that she was bisexual, um, I tried really hard to clarify in my own mind that just because she also was attracted to women, it didn't mean that she was going to be any less faithful to me. It didn't double the infidelity. (laughs) Risk. (laughs) Yeah, it didn't add any risk to the situation. And I think she's still the same person she she was before and she is now and i would invite anyone who has been through a similar experience to um be patient with yourself and process the emotions you have don't hide them but at the same time to um keep keep your emotions as most as much as you can in the reality that your partner has not um has not changed in in their feelings for you and that and and no no additional risk like you said is really introduced um and i i think um i would not be able to perfectly relate to people who are partners with someone who comes out with a sexuality that does not include them and i think that would be a whole additional difficulty that would be really hard to go through but even those people um i did have i would say i did have a second of thought of that and if you love them, I would invite you to do everything you can to consider um, what you can do to make them happy. Of course, take care of yourself. And of course, do everything you can um, to make your emotions at least somewhat of a priority. And don't just give yourself up to the point of 
self-harm, but please um, consider the, the happiness of, of others as well in that process. You're referring to couples where one's straight and one's gay. Yes, where, where perhaps one side um, comes to the conclusion that there isn't a sexual attraction to the other. And those are, and I love your thoughts there. I mean, here you are, you're 21 or 22, you're 22 and your wife's 21. And you, I just, I come, I think some of our listeners may forget your age and your maturity on the subject and and your insights in the subject. And to me, that makes me happy for the future. That you both have a, such a great way to articulate this. And I didn't have those skills or the maturity or the, you know, at your age to talk about any of this stuff. And to me, that's a sign of society going the right direction. We're developing better tools. And to me, that is the gospel of Jesus Christ to talk about those that have a harder road and try to help them and minister to them. But like you, I'm aware of couples that have been on this podcast um, in mixed orientation marriages. And I kind of thought it was blew up because I'm more aware of the ones that have blown up. But there are some great marriages where one is gay or lesbian, one is straight. And you're exactly right. And those can work. Um, I, I think I don't advise people going into those unless they maybe talk about it in the dating process and they feel um, the two of them feel really good about it and they really get good confirmation from the Heavenly Father. That's the church teaching. We don't advise that, but that can and does work. And I think that um, I would just encourage those couples that find themselves to try to do everything they can to make that work. And I think the principles that you're showing help in that situation of communication, trust, vulnerability, common goals. Um, you don't have children here, but if they're children, a common goal to bring, you know, the very best environment for children. And some of those marriages do end, but I think have a better chance of working if they have some of the skills that you're talking about. Um, maybe I've asked this, Maddie, but some would say, well, why come out? <laughs> I mean, this is, some would say, well, this just complicates your marriage. It complicates your life. Your people, you know, that love you know you're bisexual. So this is just, why would you do this? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. That's a wonderful question. And it's been one that I've thought a lot about myself. Um, and, you know, my feelings kind of have been like everywhere on this whole subject. Um, I think it's really one thing is, it's really important to live authentically. And um, we met with you, I think about a month ago, just to talk. And then you invited us onto the podcast. And um, when Miles- You and held I hands during that whole visit too. <laughs> you have the holding <laughs> hand record of anybody that's been in my front room. <sighs> yes. Um, and the car ride back um, to Miles's parents' house, or I think it was my parents' house, it doesn't really matter, but we were talking about the possibility of me sharing my experience on this podcast. And I felt it would be really dishonest to myself. Like if I came here and talked about these issues without sharing who I am. Um, so I'm really big for authenticity. And so I was really like planning on it, sharing my experiences. And then like those two weeks after that, I just got so scared and so anxious and just my head was going in circles constantly. And I was just making myself sick, being like, am I ready? Is this something that's wise to do? I felt really good about it. Now I'm having doubts. And Miles gave me a blessing one night and part of it um, said that I have been blessed with these feelings to help me gain more empathy and understanding for others. And 
I feel like if I have been blessed with this, then I can't be ashamed of it. And it's not bad to come out. And yes, I'm in a marriage with a man, but I don't know. It's just, this is who I am. And it's really helped me to like love myself as I've accepted this. So I don't want to keep it buried away. And I feel like I can really use this to help just teach people. And something I've been feeling for a long time that I've mentioned before, Miles and I really want to do our best to help others feel more accepted. And I just, I need to be able to accept myself and show others that doing so is a beautiful thing. So um, it's still scary. And like, this is huge. I can count on my fingers the number of people that I've told about this. And I don't know how many listeners you have, but I feel like it'll definitely go past my ability to count on my fingers and even beyond my ability to count on my fingers and toes. Which is shocking with the number of toes that she has. <laughs> I have 10 toes. <laughs> um, and another part of it that has been really on my mind is I've been able to just pass so easily my whole life. Um, recently, I came out to a friend who is lesbian herself, and she was like shocked. She had no idea that like this was a part of me. And I feel like it would just be very easy in some ways to just live my whole life not sharing this. Um, but at the same time, there's this sometimes overwhelming guilt that even though I'm a queer woman, I'm not straight. I have a marriage that's temple approved. I get to make these covenants with someone I love truly and deeply. And what if it hadn't been this way? What if I had fallen in love with a woman and I would be unable to have this kind of relationship with her? And it's just eating away at me that I can experience something that has been deemed right and I don't really see a difference between my relationship and other types of relationships and um, it's just something like I really feel the need to acknowledge and like there's definitely a part of me that like just wants to um, apologize to people who just a temple marriage at this like it doesn't um it's not approved with how they feel they wouldn't be able to go to the temple and um it's just been another driving force in me wanting to come out it's a very real part of my experience um that this guilt has been and um, I, I never really hear by people talked about in the church. Right. It's very much like, um, just like lesbian and gay people. We say, Hey, what you feel is what you feel. It's not a sin to feel what you feel, but don't act on it. 
just um, keep living like these celibate lives and we'll see what happens in the next life. But there's so much emphasis on family and this is our plan. This is why we came to earth. And it's just hard to almost feel like stuck in the middle. And um, I think the experiences of by members of the church really have a lot of value. And I'm not like trying to put like myself on a pedestal or anything, but if I had been able to hear these experiences when I was growing up, um, I feel like my experience would have definitely been easier. And I feel like my experience wasn't even like too hard. Um, but I know there are others out there who are struggling and struggling much more than I did. And just they need support and they need love and they need to know that they aren't alone by any means. I love your answer. It's kind of a two-part answer. You talked about why you needed to come out. And I think of this quote that I sometimes quote, fitting in is about assessing a situation and becoming who you need to be in order to be accepted. Belonging, on the other hand, doesn't require us to change who we are. It requires us to be who you, we are. And so... I think of the context that in your marriage and just belonging to Miles now versus fitting into a heteronormative norm just is healthier for your marriage. And I sense it's brought you closer together if you articulate it. But then the second part of your answer has so much empathy for those that don't have the road that you have. And I think that's a Christ-like attribute to acknowledge the pain of others. Even if you don't firsthand experience that, I think that heals people when you're able to do that. And if you validate how difficult it is for other people and not, sometimes we try to keep ourselves emotionally safe by minimizing the pain of others and not fully understanding how difficult that road is. And you two have been willing to do that and just recognize that that's a really tough road if you're gay and your path in the church is, if you're going to stay in the church, is to be celibate or perhaps find a um, a mixed orientation marriage, and both of those are really hard. And so I, I think your ability to maybe connect with that issue better because you're walking that road and you're both sensitive to it, I think is helpful for your place in the church. And some would say, well, you've got to leave the church to honor those that don't have a path. And some would say that, but I think most would say we need you in the church because of the role you're going to play to help create better understanding and especially, you know, and better support and better discussions, especially as your age group ages up um, in the church and assumes more leadership. Um, so that, that was a great answer. Thank you. Maddie, talk about, sometimes we talk about difficult experiences we have, not to be critical of a leader, but to help us all do better. And I know in a lot of state conferences, a general authority, a 70 or an area authority 70 will come and speak and you connected with um, an area authority 70, I assume could have been a general authority 70. We'll just call him a 70 and had some interaction with him. And none of us want to be critical and we're not going to name this good man because he's a good man and he's doing the best he can. But sometimes I think it's okay to share with what was difficult with that. So other, if other leaders are listening or other people just want to make sure we don't say things that add to the burden of others. Either of you want to share that experience with us? Yeah. Um, 
he was he was very kind and um, i mean of course we we talked about this earlier and um and have maddie and i have already decided that we we want to um do everything we can to uplift this man um but including on that road um there were some uh some troubling things that we heard that um that i think could uh, be something to consider for those who, and, and hopefully, uh, I hope that this can be somewhat healing for those who have had similar situations with leaders. Um, the intent of the meeting was to give Maddie and I an opportunity to to express our feelings um, and and be heard, um, and that's what um, he communicated. And I think that. Um, he, I, I had the impression that he was um, very used to hearing what we were saying, but not from members of the church with true intent. I think he was used to hearing the things we were saying from people far outside um, the realm of those he usually interacts with. And him and his kind wife both had a very difficult time um, letting us finish our thoughts. Um, and I think uh, part of that is just a, a defensive move. Um, and um, there were some very hurtful things, including um, the discussion of um, not allowing your children to interact with um, other kids that were LGBT. Um, and I'm, I'm very, I'll be very clear that that's not what Christ teaches. Um, and I, I don't mean to denounce anyone, but um, I will stand for Christ's teachings above anyone else's teachings. Um, and I hope that I can do that humbly and without... Are there specific examples of Christ's teachings that are, provide you the doctrinal foundation for that? Yes. Um, it, Christ really didn't give too many people a hard time besides those who were already pretty well established. Um and there's like that saying that Christ came to comfort the afflicted and afflict the comforted or the comfortable, something like that. And that ever, always gives people a good laugh. But um, I think that um, if we're looking at these situations, when when Christ wait, went to eat with the publicans and was ridiculed for um I think it was the publicans. Is that accurate? Um, we, Maddie and I have been reading the New Testament together recently and have just over and over again seen situations where Christ has, um, without much intention of um, initial correction, made action to show love. And um, I think that um, it, was, it was just a beautiful action of... Um, that probably shocked a lot of people outside of their comfort zones. And um, I think um, you're right that I'm not an activist and I don't, I don't think that um, doctrine has ever been uh, something of um, democracy. And I don't think we could vote anything in because if that was that way, then we would command the Lord and that would be a pretty backward system. But I do think that, all of us, including the leaders of the church in this context, can do better in reaching out and just listening to people who seem strange to us and following Christ's example in that way. 
One thing that shifted for me in part of your answer is I quit looking at LGBTQ people as a different community and a different group of people on a different road. I don't even like that word community because it created that visual. I now look at LGBTQ people as our people, our brothers and sisters, or some that don't take on a gen, even that term, brothers and sisters, for some siblings is better, God's children. But so that to me, then, that's our own people. So to say we're going to separate our children from LGBTQ people means we're going to separate them from young men and young women and primary age kids and and every age group. We're, and that's, your, to your point, I think that's just a maturing of society. It was for me, I think, just to not see LGBTQ people as a different group of people, but to see them as our own people. And sometimes in my presentations, if we do the math, there's like 780,000 of our own people, like your dear wife, that identify and are LGBTQ. And if we put all those people in a in BYU Stadium, we'd fill BYU Stadium 12 times with our own people. And how could we separate ourselves from our own people? What would that accomplish in God's plan? And what, more importantly, do we have to learn from our LGBTQ friends to help us become the body of Christ that wants to? So what is... Maddie teaching us on this podcast, you know, to help us understand, you know, the gospel better. And I need LGBTQ in my life. So I, I am agreeing with you that we need to do better. And I recognize that, um, you, you know, I, I, we just have different worldviews. And I think it's okay for you to feel uncomfortable with a statement like that and still be a faithful LDS person. And the way you're handling that, you didn't go to social media and probably put this guy's name on a Facebook post or Twitter and you're not marching down the street, but you're just giving yourself permission to be uncomfortable with that. And I think we need to give our members okay to be uncomfortable at times um, with what they're hearing. Otherwise they'll just leave if we can't. <laughs> and we'll just be left with this homogeneous group that just feels exactly same about everything. And to me, that small ball, we just have become a very small church and, um, I hope if any of my YSAs are listening, you know, they may want to pipe in one day on the podcast and we could do a YSA podcast of all the YSAs that maybe are uncomfortable with something I said, because <laughs> I'm sure that happens. And I hope that they will just try to move on and give me like you're doing the benefit of the doubt, but I hope they feel permission to feel uncomfortable with something I did or said. Yeah, I remember I would... we took a selfie once the bishopric about five minutes before church started and we just we just took a selfie on the stand and some of the YSAs thought that was really cool. And one of the YSAs messaged me later and said, that was incredibly inappropriate. And I thought she was, it was okay for her to feel that way. I don't think we take pictures in the chapel. So on a very accurate term, that was inappropriate, but for a lot of YSAs, it just sort of connected with them and make it more real and a more approachable. So I don't know, but other, other things, interactions with this leader that you want to share um I just think, so as in the spirit of yeah. learning yeah um i think uh for the most part um one thing that um, i came away thinking about is just that it's really important to listen to those who have very different opinions in general um maddie and i um home teach or I guess minister to um, a woman who is going through a lot of difficult times and hasn't come to the church for a long time. Um, and our most recent meeting yesterday, 
um, ended with her swearing at us and asking us to leave. So that didn't go too well, but she's going through a lot of hard times. And unfortunately, her life experience has been hard enough that that's kind of her mode of operation. And I promise that we didn't do anything offensive. You're um, just conduit for perhaps her anger, um, her pain. It, yes, and that's very accurate because it's possible that she will be homeless in about a week, and there's little that um, anyone can do about it, especially with um, her distaste for our bishop and other things like that. And and she's just in a tough situation. Um, but regardless, um, even though she said some things that I deeply disagreed with about race and um, including immigrants from other countries, um, I I felt pretty good about the fact that I was able to sit there and listen to her. Um, I don't think it helped her in that situation, but I would say that most of the time it does. I would say that the majority of the time, like the title of this podcast and Richard, your entire life goal of just sitting here and um, listening to people and um, and and checking with them to see if you're understanding what they're saying and comparing thoughts. That's exactly the the path of righteousness to becoming unified as one as God commands us to be. Love that. I'm thinking of a scripture: one heart and one mind. Doesn't mean we all feel the same, but it may mean we all have the same goals to come into Christ. And so I've sometimes used one heart and one mind kind of in a weaponized way to make sure everybody feels exactly the same. And I thought about that scripture. You just brought it to my mind, Miles, that one heart and one mind doesn't necessarily mean we feel the same way. And I think the power of listening, I, I think it's a, a little bit of a challenge in our church. I've never been to a church training meeting taught how to listen. I've never had people with expertise in listening train me how to listen. And so I, I'm not, I don't claim to be an expert at it, but I think it's something that it's a little bit of a soft spot for us in um, particularly men. And they're, we're kind of fix-it guys, and we kind of have the answers, and we maybe want to take our life experiences, especially with younger people like you, that we kind of look at you and, you know, and yeah, you need our life experiences at times, and you're yearning for that. But I also recognize we can learn from you. Um, I... I'm really sincere in this. When I started listening to the millennials in my ward, it helped me more learn more about the gospel of Jesus Christ and, you know, and their worldview and their insights and their maturity. And it was very, very helpful for me. And I'm not always a good listener, but I certainly realized I could learn from people that had much less eight years under their belt and much less um, leadership experience. And that's just, I think, the body of Christ. Maddie, any thoughts on this as we come back to you, just on anything we've talked about or anything you want to share? I think um, people really reveal to us the intents of their hearts. Um, Miles and I um, did reach out to this leader, and we've reached out to one of our local leaders and um, a few neighbors and just have been talking about our feelings and some of our experiences as um, We've been working through this together and trying to figure out what we're going to do. And there's just been like a remarkable difference in some of these conversations. Um, and um, the other, like a w- about a week ago, Miles and I gave 
um, some talks in our ward about missionary work and like, what am I going to say? I never like really served a mission. I haven't, do I, am I a missionary, like member missionary at all? Um, and, and then I she think, went and gave a better talk than I did. <laughs> <laughs> I think um, what our experiences have been lately really influenced our talks. And I was very focused on um, we need to be able to reach out to those in our congregations and make them feel welcome before we are really truly able to reach out to others outside the ward. And I really feel like our That's efforts cool. to, yeah, thank you. Our efforts to reach out to people who aren't members of the church would really be blessed if we're doing more for the members of our congregation. And I just really focused on just really listening with a true intent because that was just what had been making such a difference in our lives. Um, with our other meetings, um, it was just, I clocked out during a lot of them, just very much as a defense mechanism. And there was like no way I was considering like telling them my own experience and my own sexuality. And I was just like, we're trying, but this is so hard. And then we came to see you and it was just very easy. And that was like the one meeting where I like felt the spirit and it was just, um, we were very grateful for that. So thank you. Mm -hmm. And it just, at least for me, probably for miles too, it gave us more hope yeah, absolutely. <laughs> that there are people out there who are willing to listen and just to listen, not to like hear us out and be like, okay, yeah, you're struggling with this. People struggle with it, but that's just whatever. You'll come around, hopefully. And if you do, then great. And if not, then, you know, that's a real loss. And just maybe you could just cut us out and... It's just really hard to like feel this dichotomy that you can either come around to what everyone else is feeling and then you'll be accepted. But if you don't, then maybe people are going to stop associating with you. And um, one thing I've been really worried about is Miles and I, we teach sunbeams. And part of me has been worried that like if people knew about me and how I felt that it's they'd really be honest. like, we don't want you to teach our kids because who knows what you're going to teach them. And like, which unfortunately is sometimes a very real fear. Yeah. Yeah. Validate that fear. And like every lesson that I've taught is just very focused on Christ. And I'm like, we love each other. We serve each other. Think of what the Savior would do. And I just try to keep it like very simple and to the core of what I feel is the gospel. Um, and that's been really nice to do with the New Testament because it's all of Christ's teachings. And um, I love that. The thought came to my mind that heaven, our heavenly parents are going to trust you with some of their children and you, and they know you, they know everything about you, Maddie and Miles, and they're going to trust you with some of their tender spirits. And I hope we can, as local church leaders trust you the same way as you teach the doctrine of Christ. And we look at who you are and as, um, and these logical fears you have, I hope that we, you know, they don't become reality because we're able to recognize your ability to teach the gospel of Jesus Christ and, and you'll make it age appropriate to a sunbeam. We have no doubt of that. You're very thoughtful. Um, 
talk about, we, before we went live, we talked about your good parents. If your good parents are listening, what would you say that your parents have done to raise you that have, are things that you um, are grateful your parents have taught you? Do you want to start miles and things that you want to take then into your own family? Absolutely. Um, my, my dad has, um, on this topic, on LGBT specifically, has always been very accepting. My mom has had uh, a miraculous turnaround. Not that she was ever not accepting, but um, her personal struggle, um, she's just so, um, so um, integrious, if that's the word. Um, I've you heard can, it before. You can make up <laughs> words on this podcast. <laughs> at me. Um, she has a lot of integrity, and um, and she is just so. Um, she um, really just had some real personal struggles that um, that changed very quickly when my sister came out, and I am overwhelmed by her example, and also at the very same time. Uh, to see my mom make such a 180 turn on such a difficult topic from saying love the sinner, hate the sin to just saying love the people in the course of, a, of about a week. Um, all that while my dad just being um, consistently and softly supporting no matter who I was going to turn out to be. And um, I'm very grateful for my parents in, in that aspect that they taught me. That's great. Maddie, any thoughts about your parents? Yeah, I mean, I love my parents. They mean so much to me. Um, one thing about my mother is she is very much into like individualized service. Um, one thing Miles kind of likes to joke about is like my mom loves to give me shampoo because it's like something like I really want and trying to like find a good shampoo for it's my hair. It's great shampoo, Maria. You're doing great. <laughs> and she just like, She's very good at like honing in on like what people would appreciate and just like just giving service to one person. And she does it all the time. She's constantly serving and keeping other people in mind. And she just has this huge love. And she's Relief Society president right now. And she's doing such a great job. Um, I really look up to her a lot. And I really hope that all of her sisters and all the people in the ward are like really seeing and appreciating just the wonderful woman that she is. And, um, both my parents, um, they've been like really just rocks in my life, especially with the church, um, just their strong faith. And, um, it's been something I've held on to a lot. My dad has always been a really huge example of pondering on topics and searching for answers. Um, he's always been very dedicated to his faith and just has done a lot of seeking in his lifetime. And his relationship with the gospel is a very thoughtful one in my eyes. Both my parents have been really loving to me as I've talked with them about my sexuality. Um, there was a woman in our ward um, so she was like an older teenager when I was a little kid. She babysat me. She worked for my dad for a while. And then she went on a mission and she's going to BYU. And after and during her time at BYU, um, she came out as a lesbian. And I know a lot of this because um, I don't really remember her from being in my ward. 
But in high school, she was my English teacher. And she just really did a lot to like open up my understanding of LGBT people in the church and just what an awful struggle it is to feel like you belong there. Um, And she taught me a lot about like faith and like she's left the church and um, she married another woman in a very similar position to her. And then eventually they got divorced and she's just been so strong through all. And I've always really looked up to her. Um, There is this one story. um, She served in South America. I can't remember where for her mission, but there was like this terrible flood and she was at a member's house and they had like nothing before the flood. And now they really had nothing. And there is this picture of Christ like above the water line. So it hadn't been touched. And she just was looking at this picture, my teacher was, and she just was thinking about how beautiful it was and just about the Savior. And these people gave her the picture. It's like one of the last things they had left. And so this teacher just taught me so much about the complicated world that we live in. And my parents still talk about her and they love her and they, um, appreciate like what she did for us when we were kids and like the teacher she was to me. And, um, I've really appreciated that from them. That's great. I love your tributes to your parents. And I think some days your kids will give tributes to you if podcast technology still exists or, (laughs) um, we're at the end. Um, let's give my, let's have miles go. And then Maddie with just any final comments. I would uh, quickly like to say that for me, it's been hard to not be the center of the attention in this topic. And I don't mean that because I, I do steal the spotlight. Sometimes I just kind of have, I'm just kind of loud and I've worked really hard on reeling myself in. Um, But I also have real feelings and seeing the quantity of validation that from some people is given to the LGBT community and other communities. It's hard for me to see that go to them and um, not see as much um, towards me. Um, But I have learned that in those situations that you will find people who will take care of you. And that person for me is Maddie and that's all I need. Um, And I, I promise everyone who's listening that if you're having struggles Um, hearing these topics because you yourself are hurting deeply, just remember that helping these people will do nothing but help your process of healing, and it will never hurt you. Thank you. Maddie? Um, I think, first of all, I just really want to thank everyone who has gone before me and shared their stories, because without them, there's no way that I would feel nearly comfortable enough to come on to a podcast and to really just share this part of who I am. Um, I just am so grateful. They've been such incredible influences on my life. And I really think they're doing God's work. And I think you're doing God's work as well. I'm just so touched by this story. I just have so much hope when I meet a young couple like you. It gives me hope in wonderful marriages. It gives me the hope in the future of our church. It gives me hope for the kind of family you're going to raise. And I, I just, it's remarkable meeting the two of you. And I know you're not perfect and 
you'll have tough days, but you have this foundation that allows you to get through those tough days and you see so much good in each other and you want each other to succeed. And I sit here and I think of the three of us that are members of the church and, um, you know, we're all committed to the church and we all, you know, want to do the very best can we can to honor our covenants and and support the church. But we also, all of us have differences of how we see the world. And, and I think that's, I think that's okay, and I think we're maturing as a church to try to create space for everybody and not in a manipulative way to say, well, you're the tares or you're the elect you're going to be seed at the last day. And I think sometimes we use tools like that to uh, manipulate people that may feel different than us to try to try to maybe in a, in a because we have righteous desires to pull them back or to help them to feel like us. And I don't feel that way about you two. I would never say anything like that about either of you. I would just say, if God were here, you know, joining us for this podcast, I think he looked the two of you in the eye and just fill you with love and hope and say that this is, you know, I'm so comfortable with two of you being together. This is what I always hoped you'd get together. And I'm going to send you some wonderful children that are really tender to me because your ability to be great parents and and yeah, I think you have a very unique mission. I think a lot of our younger members' worldview is consistent with yours. My age group, less so. Your age group, it may be 50-50 from some of the research. I would have to think that the next age group may be more that way. And we could say that that's a decline of the world, or we could, and, or we could say that's just a maturity as we work through some of these issues like racism and sexism and now LGBTQ, that we're working through really complicated things using the doctrine of Christ as the foundation to bring people in that have been part of a marginalized group and to hear their stories and to recognize we have a stewardship responsibility to bring them in. But then we also then, from a discipleship standpoint, can learn what they can teach us about the gospel because sometimes they've had to go deeper and they've had to develop a relationship with Heavenly Father and um, and our Savior. So anyway, I usually don't talk this much at the end of a podcast. Any other thoughts that came to your mind? Just, Maddie, as we were closing, I know you may have had one other thought, but you don't need to. Um, I've come to realize that accepting who I am didn't change me as much as I expected. Internally, I'm just much more in tune with my authentic self. I don't know what external changes will happen. Um, but to me, those seem the most scary. Maybe there will be people who don't want a relationship with me anymore. I'm sure there will be people who don't understand and don't care to. Um, there are a lot of things that could change that I won't be in control of. So coming out has really been a huge act of faith. Um, and it's been hard. Every day I've had to choose faith that this is the right thing for me to do. I've had wonderful blessings that have told me I'll be blessed for doing this, but I still get doubts all the time about a lot of things. Um, and I just have to trust that God has an individualized plan for everyone, even though there are so many things that I don't understand. And when I can't have faith, I cling to my hope. Um, that's what keeps me going, really. I have this almost burning hope that things will be better in the future. I know God exists and loves us, so that leads me to believe that 
everything's going to make sense and it'll all be right. And everyone who has suffered will be blessed and they won't have to suffer anymore. Um, And until that day, I guess I'm just trying to do my best. And that's what I would encourage everyone else to do. Our heavenly parents really do see our efforts. They're cheering us on and they understand exactly how hard life is. But they are merciful and beautiful. One of the greatest mercies I've received lately is to feel their love for all of their children. So the last thing I guess I want to say is just to testify of love. I think it's the most powerful force in the world. And maybe that sounds a little cheesy, but it really does change lives. Um, so don't be afraid to love those around you. Just love freely and deeply. Maddie and Miles Robertson, thank you so much for joining us on an episode of Listen, Learn, and Love. You're a great couple, and I'm so honored you'd share your story. And we usually don't have people that are barely out on the podcast. So thank you for that incredible courage to share your story. And thank you, our listeners, for joining us on another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love.